Hello, and welcome to Make My Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jana Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. Today, we're thwipping with the best of them. Excelsior. Thwip, thwip. Thwip. I always picture the thwips being kind of high-pitched, like a, like a ricochet sound. Hmm. I don't know. I've, I've been uh, so, I guess, inundated with the cartoon and the, the live action sound of them that that's just that's just kind of what I hear now. Yeah, I wonder. I have, the 90s cartoon was the formational of Spidey soundscape to me. Mm hmm. Yeah. Radioactive spider blood cartoon. <laughs> Grew up on that shit. David Hayter played Captain America in that cartoon. It was awesome. Solid snake. <laughs> he did. Yeah, they did. Um, they did 1985 Secret Wars as the finale of that cartoon. And it's great. It's a great cartoon adaptation of Secret Wars. I always thought it got canceled because of that. I was like, oh, so what's coming next? They had this oh, so big the, giant thing. So the universe is over. And then they didn't follow it up. Yeah, it must be the end of the cartoon. Yeah. That's really logical, actually. Uh, I was I was so sad. <laughs> but we're I not talking so about cartoons today, except we kind of are. Oh, we are, in fact. Yeah, because we're talking about every spider thing today. Mm-hmm. It's time for Spider-Verse, the original event, which, God help me, was 10 years ago. Yeah, I was in grad school, and um, I remember this being announced like while I was student teaching. Uh, I was uh, sitting in a classroom like helping grade papers, and then I just noticed uh, on I had, like my feed or whatever that uh, the, uh, the poster for this comic had dropped, like the big spread of all the Spider-Mans in it. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, that's the best idea I've ever heard for a comic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. It's like just I saw the picture. I heard one sentence about it. And I'm just like, has anyone ever had a better idea than Spider-Verse right now? <laughs> I don't know. I maybe in 2014, not. I feel like history kind of vindicates that perspective, too. Right. Spider-Verse has gone on to be so much bigger than just this excellent comic story. It has. It spawned a few imitators, uh, some by the same person. Indeed. And none of them quite live up to this. Well, I, w I said that, but then we reread this. And I'm like, maybe Spider-Geddon was a better event. Spider-Geddon is really good. Yeah, but... I like Spider-Geddon just because I think it's one of the only good comics that's like a great Miles Morales story. Hmm. I have to agree. He's here in Spider-Verse, but I don't even think, uh, yeah, he hasn't been integrated into this universe yet. No, Secret Wars is about a year out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, I, and this is kind of a, a nice tease for it, actually. Um, but we have so much to talk about. I don't want to get too far afield talking Spider-Geddon. So first, uh, you mentioned that um, there was a guy who had an idea, and we should talk about that guy for a moment. Yep. Dan Slott. He has been writing, at this point, Spider-Man for what? Better part of a decade? Yeah, coming up on a decade now. This when this was when he announced this, this kind of felt like a, a going out swan song finale. And then he stuck with the book for another like five years. Yeah, well, I think yeah, something like that actually. Um, for what it's worth, his ending to his main series was pretty good too. Um, but mm -hmm. we've talked about Dan Slott before on this show, actually a great deal more than most uh, creators. Yeah, he's just touched so much of the Marvel universe in the last twenty or so years. And this, I guess, is one of the only Dan Slott Spider-Man stories I've actually read. I think so this and like the first volume of Worldwide. Which was right after this. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, there were a few issues, then Secret Wars happened, and then Worldwide. Where Peter Parker is dating uh, Bobby Morse Mockingbird. Ooh, I didn't even realize that. You didn't realize that? Yeah, that's a weird development that I thought was kind of interesting that didn't go anywhere. I may not have gotten that far. I, like I, I did one volume of Worldwide, and I think that's five or six. Yeah, Worldwide is not my favorite part of the whole slot run, although it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Anyway, but, so Dan Slott's been writing Spider-Man a good long time. The, the entire arc of his decade-long run on Spider-Man is really fascinating to me. At different points, he is the only writer or he is leading a team of writers, but he's almost always a part of it. Mm-hmm. This is not the first Spider event he's done, and I really like some of his other Spider events, such as uh, Spider Island is the one that um, kind of challenges this in scale of just so many tie-ins. Gotcha. Okay. But Spider Island's really good. Like, those tie-ins are fun, and um, that also had some fun little twists and turns in cul-de-sacs. <laughs> Mr. Fantastic gives every person in Manhattan the superpower to always know what direction north is, figuring that they already know that, so they won't notice. Huh. Isn't that a, you should see? That's, Spider Island is fun. <laughs> that is very fun. But I so I associate them because Spider Island was like a huge event, and Spider Verse to me when it was announcing to be them being like, you thought that was big, we're gonna top it. Hmm. Yeah. And then I think after this, they kind of tried to top it again with um, the clone conspiracy, and that Ugh. was when yeah, that was the first did. I think that's the first Dan Slot comic in the entire run where I'm like, okay, this kind of sucks. Yeah, that thing is uh, a hot pile. Yeah, although, you know, actually, some of our favorite comics of the last couple of years have come out of that. I know that's that that's kind of the maybe not the problem of Dan Slott, but the uh, the what makes him so interesting. He has yeah. a lot of ideas. He puts them on the page and whether or not he is successful at executing it, there's always something for someone else to pick up in a, in a, and run with. I've also I've um, Dan Slott is a creator. I think I've talked to more than I've talked to most creators. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just in and around the comic store when I was there for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And one thing that always struck me about him is he's also not precious about his many ideas. Mm. He has no problem dropping something if if he doesn't like the response it gets or if it didn't work out the way. Like uh, things that he sounded really excited about doing, he is very quick to move on from. And I always found that kind of impressive. Mm. Uh, yeah, it does mean that I think some some ideas that could have been really cool, he might. I wonder if he gets cold feet on. Yeah, I think that's possible. And then but then other creators pick them up, like all of the Spider-Man Beyond stuff that we liked so much. True. That was coming out of Clone Conspiracy. Mm hmm. And I, what's funny is we're talking about Slot and how he like kind of creates insane continuity and then moves on and somebody else gets to pick up the pieces. <laughs> uh, or maybe has to pick up the pieces in some cases. I think by your tone, it sounds like you know where I'm going, which is that's kind of the agenda for this comic is he's picking up a wild Spider-Man story that I think was um um, I think critics liked it at the time, like the 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 intellectuals of the comic sphere. But I think the, the man in the shop that you could talk to did not like Spider-Man and the other. Yeah. So therein lies, I guess, the fun and why I actually bought this arc. OK, why I was going to ask. I kind of guessed. I got this. I kind of guessed. So this was because this was the first like big sequel to this story. The other, which we'll describe in a moment. That's what mm-hmm. got you onto the slot run? Kind of, yeah. So I cool. I have been, it's no secret, the, the big Spider-Man run that I love and that, that I've read uh, is the J. Michael Straczynski run from the early 2000s, which technically predates Dan Slott, but 
you know, that whole era is is so weird uh, right definitely, after JMS. I mean, definitely predates Dan, Dan well, Slott because Dan Slott is does, the guy. It does, but not they... necessarily directly in the same way because you've got, what, seven or eight different creative teams for two or three years during Brand New Day, and then it settles in and it becomes yeah, the Dan but, Slott run. But immediately after Szczynski leaves the book, Slott is already on the book, maybe, and mm. then by the end of a couple of months, he is the sole guy on the book after they stop doing three issues a month. Mm, okay. Um, and there's a couple of arcs that are other that clear. I mean, clearly to me, I don't know. They're all credited on all of them, but like the one arc reads a little bit more like Christos Gage to me than Dan Slott. And, um, I think, uh, uh, Jim's was Jim Zub doing Marvel work back then. I, maybe I'm thinking from later. Zeb Wells. Oh, Zeb Wells. That's right. I always mix those two up on the air for some reason. <laughs> they both have uh, one syllable first and last names. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so all of them did great work in that time. Um, but but what's interesting is that um, the Straczynski run, mm-hmm. uh, like Straczynski leaves because of all the weirdness that's happening and people not reacting well to it, an editorial. And then Slot's brought in to be like the, the cleanup guy. And it takes him a lot of years to get back around to the story. Yeah, and this story, it's following up on... A bunch of characters from the JMS run, following up on Morlin, who was introduced as a psychic vampire, and all of this totem stuff and the stuff with the other, those were introduced in that run, and then also concurrently with, you know, the other Spidey titles, Friendly Neighborhood, the Marvel Knights one. It's been a little bit for me, and maybe for our listeners too. So what's like the deal with Spider-Man the other? Like what's the, how does, I, Ezekiel is there? Yeah, uh, the... I'll be honest, my memory of the other is fuzzy. What's the uh, what's the, the bullet points, though? But the bullet points, I think, were it was a uh, it was a, a an outgrowth of the introduction of the spider Spider-Man powers coming from or being associated with kind of like this mystical. You're a spider totem. You're channeling spider ness from outside. And that was one of the big threads with Spider-Man. He's going through these changes. At one point, he grows six arms. Again. Again. And, you know, he's becoming more spider-like. And then there's this flip side to the, the you know, Spider-Totems, the others, this this special version, I guess, of, of Spider-Man. The, the way it shakes out, to my memory, is that... Um, the idea that uh, Straczynski was going for, which is a very smart, like highfalutin idea to reach for, mm-hmm. is that the spider totem is like the he- the spirit of the trickster hero of mm-hmm. um, Anansi the spider and Br'er Rabbit and Bugs Bunny, for that matter. Yep. Because Spider-Man's kind of a stinker. He uh, kills his <laughs> enemies with kindness. He uh, covers up his fear under jokes. And so Straczynski was trying to like position uh, Spider-Man in this continuum of... This this heroic archetype, which he uh, identifies as being like connected to spiders through the legends of Anansi the spider mm-hmm. of African mythology and a pretty fun Neil Gaiman novel. Yep. And um, I remember Moreland showing up in an arc of Iron Fist. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have we talked about this before? Have we read this? No, no, no. I, I had forgotten that that's where he had popped up. That's the one place where he had popped up between uh, Straczynski and Spider-Verse is um, he tries to eat uh, Iron Fist's dragon totem. And that kind of expanded Mm. the idea of um, he eats like the mythical souls of any hero who's connected to like a legacy. Yep. 
But spiders and, are his favorite. Yeah, he he loves a good spider. Uh, I remember one of the other things what this did was it gave um, Peter a few more powers and like changed his webbing to be organic, all this other stuff that kind of went away for a while. Right. He had like gross stingers in his wrists, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. And Slot started to pick up this stuff in Spider Island, apparently. Yeah. Kane. Well, I, so Kane, I was going to mention, Kane becomes the Scarlet Spider early in the or further back in the slot run. Mm hmm. And then Christos Gage writes that spinoff series, if I recall. Do you have it in front of you? No idea. There was a uh, Scarlet Spider series where it's about Kane and he is in Austin, Texas, which is a cool place <laughs> to set a superhero story, by the way. Cool city. OK. And so and like the supporting cast was like people you might see in Texas, you know, mm -hmm. is uh, a lot more Latino characters, a lot more like people in cowboy hats and boots. Fun vibe for a Spider-Man. But that was the comic where I remembered were, was picking up on all the mystical stuff. Was uh, I remember there was an arc where Kane has to, like, bury himself alive and then he emerges with all sorts of freaky spider powers. Which he still might have when he shows up in this story, actually. Yes, yes, he does. And those are those are the other's powers. Yeah. And um, that was their effort, I guess, to take it away from Peter Parker because people didn't like that story and give it to a more obscure character who could explore those things more freely. I kind of mm -hmm. liked it. I remember yeah. Christopher Yost. Chris our Yost, friend. of course, our great friend who uh, is one of the most responsible people in the formation of the MCU, I would argue. Yeah. Right. Okay. He's the one. He was the, the, the thankless story guy who was uh, coming up with all the scripts early on. One and a couple them, yeah. guys. Yeah, him with a handful of guys. Yeah, but so this comic is picking up on Moreland, and we're going to talk about uh, the, the whole story in this, but do you want to, um, I'm sure you want to uh, introduce the issues. <laughs> I do, I do. I want to kind of position us here. So Spider-Verse is divided up technically into three parts. The third part's just an epilogue. It's a couple issues. But they've got the Edge of Spider-Verse, which was a miniseries, Edge of Spider-Verse. Two issues of Sup Superior Spider-Man, which came out four months after the final issue of the original Superior Spider-Man series. Which they build into the issue. Yeah, which is wild. Yeah, uh, great piece of, like, comic book. Uh, yeah, I love that shit. Yeah, you go on, go on. Uh, and then Amazing Spider-Man number seven and eight, uh, as well as like a five page story from the Guardians of the Galaxy free comic book day issue. The main event takes place in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, which considering how this event is talked about, continues to blow my mind because we always talk forgot. about it like it's just this own thing. Yeah, I too forgot that it wasn't a series called Spider-Verse. It is, in fact, issues what, 7 to 15 of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2? Nine, 9 to 15, because the Edge issues are 7 and 8. Right, right. Yeah, and it had a few tie-ins. It had Scarlet Spiders, 1 to 3, Spider-Verse Team-Up, issues 1 to 3, Spider-Verse, 1 and 2. That's not confusing at all. A relaunched Spider-Woman series, issues 1 to 3, uh, and then... A few issues of Spider-Man 2099, issues 6 through 8. And then the epilogue was Amazing Spider-Man 15 and Spider-Woman number 4. Um, that's the the, the Spider-Woman, which we're not going to talk about in great detail, Yeah, is the uh, credited in my trade as Dennis Hopeless. Yes, and now goes by Dennis Hopeless Halem. Yeah, Dennis, I'm going to call him, he's going to be a three-part namer for me. Mm -hmm. Dennis Hopeless Halem... Um, this is the first volume of Spider-Woman he writes, and it's so funny because the second volume he writes is probably the most definitive 
uh, solo series Jessica Drew has ever had? I guess so. I th- I think it's I think it's the one where she's uh, pregnant and a superhero. I think it's the same series. Oh no, right? Because Secret Wars happens. Secret Wars reboots the numbering, and right, then they right, ditch right. the artist, and it gives them a, cl- a fresh start. But it's so funny. I was just I, I don't want to talk so much about these issues. They have uh, art we'll by. Yeah, like Greg we'll, Land. we'll hit them later. Okay, yeah, you're you're gonna guide us on this journey. You're the more organized one. So we're we'll start with the Edge of Spider Verse, and I'm gonna run down the credits of the Superior Spider Man and Amazing Spider Man issues, and then when we do the mini series, we'll do the credits one at a time. Sounds great. I'm gonna use this as an opportunity to get my notes more together. Wonderful. So amazing. So let's do it. The writers, Dan Slott, plots Amazing Spider-Man issues 7 and 8 and Superior Spider-Man number 32 and writes with Christos Gage, Superior Spider-Man number 3, and full-on writes Amazing Spider-Man number 7 and 8, the backup stories, while Christos Gage scripts uh, Amazing Spider-Man numbers 7 and 8 and then Superior Spider-Man 32 and 33. For pencils, we have Giuseppe Comancoli on uh, Superior Spider-Man 32 and 33 and Amazing Spider-Man 7 and 8 and Humberto Ramos on Amazing Spider-Man number 8. For inkers, we have John Dell for Superior 32 and 33, Cam Smith for Amazing 7 and 8, and Victor Olazaba for Amazing number 8. Colorist, we have Antonio Fabella on Superior 32 and 33 and Amazing Spider-Man 7 and 8, and Edgar Delgado on Amazing Spider-Man 7 and 8. And then for letters, we have Chris Iliopoulos on Superior 32 and Amazing Spider-Man 7 and 8, and Joe Caramagna on Superior Spider-Man 33. Oof. We did it. Yeah, so you got a lot of credits. Keep me uh, keep me honest here. So uh where do, where do we begin? So I kind of want to brush brush past these issues a little bit. They just were, were fairly uninteresting. So Amazing Spider-Man 7 and 8, ooh, as I drop my mouse, are it's a two-parter team up with Ms. Marvel in the first half of each issue and then the back half of each issue, you know, is either a backup story or, you know, a, a two-issue uh, epilogue leading into Spider-Verse. So really it's just the backups that are important for this, but you know the seven and eight establishes are if you haven't read it before establishes the relationship between Peter and Cindy Moon, who becomes Silk during these issues. That's right. Um, she didn't have a code name before this, and I hated everything about this. Oh, there's so much fucked up stuff here. We should talk about. Oh, um, I I was so uncomfortable. I had forgotten how uncomfortable these issues made me. Uh, yeah, I remember this being a real no. disaster uh, at the time, too. But so, OK, so we're introduced to Cindy Moon and there's a bunch of complicated continuity here, which is, I guess, our job to untangle. So we're going to do our best. Oh, OK, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, um, you go. So back in that story you were describing, Spider-Man, the other Spider-Man meets Ezekiel Sims. Did I get the name right? I think so. And Ezekiel Sims is like this prophet of the whole spider mythology world of magic. I actually think Ezekiel was pre the other. I think he showed up and like the when Moreland showed up in um, Amazing Spider-Man in uh, JMS's run. So like one of the first issues. Yeah, but I but and then he comes back. Then he becomes uh, folded into yep. the other because you're right. He yes. is a uh, JMS character, which what a JMS name. Oh, yeah. Ezekiel Sims. He runs around with no shoes. 
Yeah, he's like this old guy with no shoes. He's got a really bad vibe all like from the oh the whole time <laughs> from the word jump. You just see this guy and you're like, oh yeah, bad vibes guy. And so it turned out that um, the spider that bit Peter Parker after it crawled away from him bit a second person on its way out the door, and that person was a girl named Cindy Moon. And so Sims was like, oh, no, the spider totem guys are going to come after you. I have built a bunker that will hide, will mask your like uh, your spider scent to these uh, vampire dimension, interdimensional vampire guys. Original sin is such a fucking weird event. That's where this came in. Yeah. 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 All of the stuff. If it's ever. Oh, you're right. You're right. Original sin. Original Sin, by the way, has one of the greatest discrepancies between like reading the actual issues and its consequences. I think it's a really readable series, but everything about it, you're like, this is not a good story direction. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Anyway, creepy bunker. Yeah. And so this girl, Cindy Moon, has spider powers and um, but she's been she's never really had a chance to use them because she's been kept in Ezekiel's uh, bunker hidden since. How old was Peter Parker when he got his powers? Like 14? Something like that. So she and was now a he's girl. An adult. <laughs> yeah. So she's been, for since she was 14, she's been locked in a bunker with spider powers with only this creepy old man to talk to. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. Do, like, do they give any details about, like, what, does she watch TV? Like, what the fuck does she do? I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't read those original Sin issues. That This was my introduction to Silk, and it still has kind of been. Yeah. But essentially, she gets freed. I think Morlin frees her in the original Sin event. Morlin is looking for her, and I think yeah. Peter comes across her before Morlin does, and he's like, we gotta get out of here. Yeah, and so she's there, she's hanging around, and every time they get close to each other, their spider pheromones go into overdrive. And everything about that sentence is as creepy as it sounds. Yeah, I'm trying to like do some mental gymnastics here to find the best version of this before we reach to the actual version of this. <laughs> I feel like they're looking at all the spider characters across the books. And in order to make this like mythic resonance happens, they're trying to fold up pieces of spider mythology. Uh, Black Widow, I think, shows up for a panel somewhere even. Somewhere. I don't remember. But spider pheromones are one of Jessica Drew's powers historically. Yeah. And um, they've been mostly. I, I mean, I can think of a couple of stories where they got used in a cool way. I like it when she like. uh makes people uh, a little bit like agitated so the guards leave their post or whatever that's kind of fun yeah that is kind of fun but yeah there's obviously like a creepy sex use for these powers and so that's the spider pheromones getting folded in and then there are all of these like prophetic figures in the inheritors plans they're trying to like enact this ritual which is going to be a big feast where they get to eat all the spiders Mm -hmm. and for the feast to happen and for them to like get the fucking kick they want out of it um they need all the players to be there and one of the players is as you said the spider bride who is determined to be cindy and so i think the them having to fuck all the time thing is like part of them echoing the heroic journey of these archetypes okay it's bad it's it's not good to read about that's the nicest version i can think of about it. It seems like mostly it's the chance to give Peter like a low commitment, naive, inexperienced Asian girlfriend. That that is the vibe it gives. So it doesn't achieve yeah. those thematic aims that I went to. But that's the nice version. If you want to like live in a happier world with this day, this crime is our, the crime of writing these issues has been committed. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to also give Peter another 
relationship that's not MJ, that's not Black Cat, and is not uh, Anna Marie because of uh, the end of Superior Spider-Man. And you left out uh, Carly Cooper. Who? <laughs> You've never read the slot run. She's Peter's main no. love interest. She's shown up in issues in modern issues. She okay. is a she's a an NYPD forensic scientist. Oh, okay. And sometimes you see Spider-Man characters talking to like a lady in the morgue. That's uh, that's that's Cooper. Oh, that see that's a fun role for for a side character to have. Yeah, she was the girlfriend for a lot of the slot run. I liked her a lot, Carly Cooper. A shame. She, I, I like what her. I like that she's still one of the many excellent supporting characters in the background in Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happy she seems she got the better of of that direction. But anyway, yeah, we're trying to figure out women for Peter to romance that aren't uh, MJ, who everyone knows he's supposed to end up with. Yeah. And uh, they to varying degrees of success. I think this one is one of the worst failures. But the two Spider-Verse important stories in seven and eight, the first one kind of introduces the threat to the multiverse and uh Spider UK goes off to to fight and find more spiders. Uh, Spider UK, then, who is a Braddock. Yes, he is. He is Billy Braddock. Billy then, Braddock. What a good name for a Spider-Man. <laughs> gotta have that alliteration. Uh, and then the second one, we're introduced to one of Moreland's brothers, uh, Deimos, and the destruction of Mayday Parker's family. Right. So Mayday Parker, did you had, had, are you familiar with Mayday? No, she was from Renew Your Vows. So in the late, right when um, Straczynski's coming on right after the Clone Saga, which we have discussed on this podcast before, reviled and drawn out Spider-Man story. Yeah, bad. There was an implication at some point, and I think, I, you know, there were so many retcons that I forget what is the true version of the story is. But at one point, they think Mary Jane is pregnant, and at another point, they think she's not pregnant. And whether or not it's a, a false positive or a miscarriage or the baby was, like, secretly uh, weaned using super science and taken away from them. As you do. As you do, is also left. And I think this was what uh, Nick Spencer was getting into at the end of his run somewhat, with some of that shit. I mean, he he had been flirting with it the whole time. But with him, when but it was like I, the baby bad. ended up being Gwen's baby and it was an AI that was also a demon that was manipulating Harry. A fucking how bad yeah. is that run at yeah. the end? So bad. Like, but so bad. Not liking that story where the baby goes off. They then wrote a comic called Spider Girl. And Mayday is the hero of Spider Girl. And she is the daughter that MJ lost. However, she lost at the time. I don't know what they thought had happened to Mayday, but they're like, we're going to do the alternate history uh, where this is a character. And Mm -hmm. that's what ended up launching um, a universe that's now called MC2, Marvel Comics 2, which was an early prototype of the Ultimate Universe. And it's Mm -hmm. about all the superheroes get old and it's like a TNG, the next generation of heroes. I there's a couple of them that are like such good ideas. Uh, Mayday is the main character in that. Okay, very cool. But so this is the first time she's showing up since that original series ended. And there's like a bunch of guys who have been around for 20 years who have been waiting for uh, Mayday's return. <laughs> and this is how it happens in this tragic way. Yeah. But I mean, she becomes an integral part of the event. Yeah, I, I was I, I, I was that. one of those fans and I was into I like Mayday <laughs> in the story. Yeah. So with Superior Spider-Man, I want you to position us a little bit with with this. So what was Superior Spider-Man? The Cliff Notes version 
Oh my god, I'm gonna be as brief as I can. Please, just like top level, what is it? Superior Spider-Man is a series that replaced the ongoing Spider-Man series for a little over a year, maybe two years, for a good while, uh, by Dan Slott. In this story, um, Peter Parker and Dr. Octopus swap bodies. So Dr. Octopus is now in Peter's young body, and Peter is now in Dr. Octopus's ravaged body. And very early on in this story, Peter dies in Dr. Octopus's uh, body, but before the psychic connection is severed, he sends the great power, great responsibility experiences to Doc Ock, making Doc Ock understand heroism. But Doc Ock was determined to be a better Spider-Man, one who is not limited by uh, foolish morality and who has a um, holistic approach to crime fighting. And so Superior Spider-Man is a series where Otto Octavius, in Peter's young body, is living as Spider-Man, but he's trying to be Spider-Man as a supervillain. He hires minions, he builds an evil army of robots, he has an evil lair, but this is all what Spider-Man is doing and how he is fighting, like, muggings and stuff. Is he sending his, like, spiderlings to go beat up people in alleys? That's... I have to read this at some point. It's a wonderful that's... series. When it came out, that was probably the nadir of Slot's relationship, uh, Slot's uh, reputation with the comic fans. People were really oh, yeah. mad about this. Death oh, yeah, threat. I remember. I was at Comic-Con events where Slot was there and people were yelling threats to his face and they had to be escorted out of the room. Whoa. Like, yeah, people went crazy for the story, which is nuts to me because um, it's a really good story. And a bunch of the things that I guess you're worried about, like that Peter Parker has been irrevocably removed from this. Peter Parker plays a big role in the story, suffice to say. Mm -hmm. Like Peter Parker never feels absent. And it is largely a story about his relationship with Doc Ock. Um, I've always wanted to love Otto Octavius because he's just got such a vibe. This is the story where I really feel like I could dig into him as a character and love him fully. Very cool. Okay, so. Is that okay? That that was top level enough? Perfect. That was that. That helps me understand the series a little bit more too, because I knew a bunch of the the background stuff, but not like the the what's and the whys. I was have been piecing it together because issues thirty two and thirty three are kind of separate from all of that. Because apparently, at one point in Superior, Otto Octavius or the Superior Spider Man disappears for about you know twenty four hours. And now we're telling the story of what happened during those Lost 24, 24 hours, hours or so. Yeah. So he's sent essentially careening through time, first into 2099, uh, and then he goes and flits through different dimensions, and he starts finding all of these dead Spider-Men. First, he finds a Spider-Man who is part of the Fantastic Four. He has got a five on his spider. And we're basically going through the different eras of Spider-Man, but as if it were had continued in that vein without you know branching off. So we've got the Civil War Spider-Man. We've got, I guess, like Batman Spider-Man. There's a couple of Batman Spider-Mans, I would yeah. say. And here we're introduced to... Spider-Man India, a.k.a. Uh, Peter Parker. Uh, he's and... been the character before. This is not his first appearance in comics. Oh, it's not? He had a miniseries okay. in, I think, the year 2000. Oh. Well, this is his introduction to me and to this series. Sadly, he does not get to play as much of a big role, but he does have some fun lines uh, as he tries to save everyone and is attacked by Kane. I love Kane. I love his design so much. Wait, you're not talking about Kane. You're talking not about Kane, the... Uh, Karn. 
Karn, yeah, Karn has Karn. like an all-time great uh, comic look. Yeah, he's got this steampunk diving helmet. He carries a big, not tuning fork, but a it's not like a, a laser trident. spear. Yeah, it's got two two points. He's uh, a Biden. Yeah, he is the exiled brother of the other inheritors, and these two issues are basically just kind of introducing us to Karn, like, what has he been doing, who has he been killing, and then what is the superior Spider-Man doing in building up his spider army to try and take out Kane? And I guess the idea here is, because we know something bigger is coming, you know, we know he's not going to succeed, but this is framed as, you know, is this can the superior Spider-Man win on his own? And the answer is no. He gets completely taken out. Right. But that and this is kind of um and if you read the series, these like lost issues, you feel it because uh, he comes back with a new view on cooperation and teamwork. Mm-hmm. By the way, I just highly recommend uh trying to go through as many issues as you can find that came out during Superior Spider-Man from other series. Ooh, okay. The one moment I remember that's really funny is after Otto Octavius takes Peter Parker's body in um, Hickman's Avengers, there's a part where everyone comes back and finds out that Peter Parker has been like eating everybody's leftovers out of the leftover fridge, even though they put a label with their name on it. <laughs> and that's how you know Spider-Man is evil now. And uh, <laughs> just like all these cute little touches of like Otto being kind of a dick, but everyone thinking it's Peter is very it was like just like a fun year of comics for me. That's great. Yeah, people didn't like this. I think that's crazy. I looking back, I remember people not liking that. And I'm looking at these comics and they're so fun. I, I always have to keep that in mind when something big happens. I'm like, well, what will it be like in a few years? And I, I always feel vindicated when I'm right about hating something, which is not a feeling that that's great. Like, like with the Spencer run, I think we look back on it and it is just as bad as it was during. It might be worse. Run. Yeah, maybe worse. Aged worse. But Superior Spider-Man has had the opposite. And I much prefer series like that where we look back and we're like, it was reviling its time, but it actually was very good. We, right. So uh, to, to move us back into it. Um, so these two issues are really interesting to read in the sequence of Superior Spider-Man because you do see a change in attitude. Mm-hmm. Although the series then ends very shortly after that. Um, no. Oh, oh, you mean the original issues? Yeah. Uh, the, oh, well, and then there's another series a couple years later written by Christos Gage, which I love. I thought this series fucked and trucked and it's mm-hmm. got quentin choir in it and master pandemonium just like the best marvel pulls you could pull um and that's about still in peter's body um doc ock gets a fascist haircut and moves to the west coast <laughs> and that's the setup <laughs> it's great i have read that one i love that, that was great yeah that Absolutely nuts. But Ock is assembling an army of Spider-Man from across the dimensions because he knows they're being targeted across the dimensions by mm-hmm. these inheritors. Which, for anyone who was a fan of that series at the time, was probably not. They were probably very happy to get to see Superior Spider-Man, and with the promise of Superior meeting, you know, Peter Parker Spider-Man post Superior. Which yeah, and that little bit of time travel magic makes so it such cool. a delight. Yeah. And and he actually plays on that. He doesn't just kind of let it go, which I really appreciate. That's Me too. good storytelling. Yeah, that um, Peter has already resolved this. So the way he's talking to Ock is kind of delicate because he knows that 
There's he knows mm-hmm. the inev- what's inevitably to be. He just like yeah. it's just personal for him. He just has all these things he wants to say to, to his old enemy. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we take our break and go into the main series, we should talk about what I think is maybe the most famous part of Spider-Verse. Like the event itself is pretty, pretty big, but Edge of Spider-Verse, these five issues, I think really capture the comic book reading population's imagination in a way that is very rare. You're, yeah, 100%. And not all of them were big hits, but... Like, these five issues really encapsulate, I think, what I loved about what this event did and allowed. Yeah. What I feel like the what gives it the extra juice, though, mm-hmm. is if it was just Slot and his buddies writing all of these issues, they probably would have been fun. They could have come up with a bunch of ideas. But mm-hmm. all of them are by these really disparate uh, creative teams who have different approaches to the material and the assignment. And so all of them get to be really expressive. And some of the ones that we still think about today are like actually really good, like a good little piece. And the fact that all of them were taking place like in the middle of a different spider characters, hypothetical run Mm -hmm. or whatever, I guess they do a lot of different things, but like um, just picking up in the middle really made you want to see more of their world. Yeah. Or in the case of this first one was a return for a character. That's right. And their team, Spider-Man Noir. The, who was this was written by uh, David David Hine and with Fabrice Sapolsky, uh, and it was illustrated by uh, Richard Asanove and lettered by Clayton Callis. All these issues were lettered by by Clayton Callis, so I won't say his name every time. And um, the original run of Spider Man Noir, I think, is fine. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a it's like a genre exercise, and it's it's fine as a story. Uh, but mm-hmm. I always loved the artwork, and it didn't miss a step. Looks great here. Yeah. Yeah. Great fun noir stuff, and you know him from the movies. He's 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 yep. got enough of a such an easy pitch. You say him, and you know what that is. That they made him one of the main ones in the first Spider Verse movie. Because he's also got a great visual gimmick. You know, all the black and white, all of the the like serious brooding that he can do. It's very fun. Yeah, but that's I guess that's an earlier stylistic um, experiment in Spider Man, and now everything is like this mm. for this miniseries. Yep. Uh, the second one was International Sensation Introduction of Gwen Sp- Stacy Spider-Woman, or as it became known, Spider-Gwen, uh, which was written by Jason Latour, illustrated by Robbie Rodriguez, and colored by Rico Renzi. Yeah, this, this is probably, <laughs> this issue is probably the best issue in the entire event. Y- yeah. Uh, it looks I, incredible. I would agree. Um, and and this was the, what they were picking up on from the movie. I mean, do you remember in spite of the second movie where they open it in Gwen's world and it looks like this watercolor? Oh, I, I still can't get over that scene. It's so good. It's yeah, a gorgeous scene from a film this year that has this issue to think. Mm-hmm. And I love how much gets set up about her world in this issue. Like I I, I demanded that we return here, and we did many times. Yep, I think that what the series did expanded on this in a great way. I think this issue was a little rushed, but, you know, it had such a solid concept and excellent character designs and was just so offbeat. It did everything perfectly. She's she's in a band with uh, with (laughs) Betty Brand and Glory Grant. And MJ and MJ. That's what a fun use of the Spidey supporting cast. Mm hmm. Yep. 
and um, the evil consigliere uh, Matt Murdock is in this world who I love. <laughs> There's uh, Officer Frank Castle, who's just a real asshole. Uh-huh. should call him Officer Frank Asshole. <laughs> um, there's a couple other fun Marvel characters who show up in a different role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we gotta we gotta move. Okay. So. Yeah, you're keeping me honest. Okay. So the next yep. issue. Next issue is I just called it Blade Runner Spider Man. Uh, yeah, Cyberpunk Spider Man. Yeah, it's Dustin Weaver doing his riff on Ghost in the Shell Spider Man. I guess. Uh, yeah, and it's Dustin Weaver. Great art. It doesn't leave much of an impact. I was about to say the same thing. Great art didn't really leave much of an impact as a story, but like fun genre exercise keeps mm-hmm. this all flowing. Yeah, and considering that Spider-Man gets uh, devoured at the end might also be why it didn't have the same kind of staying power. Sure. Uh, well, and then, there's also kind of a better uh, similar genre one coming up. Yes, that's true. Uh, but the fourth one was a horror Spider-Man. It's like, what if we took the Steve Git- Ditko character and just like, pushed it into horror because he's already kind of like one foot in that in that ec comics asshole grave yeah you know exactly the kind of character i'm talking about right yeah yeah he really likes ayn rand (laughs) well yes but like they doesn't respect women also true oh but all those old horror horror stories you'd have you know the asshole he'd do some terrible stuff and then he'd get his comeuppance by oh yeah, yeah yes you're talking about the uh, patented ec horror comic ironic comeuppance which is how mm-hmm. every one of those stories ended yep and spider-man just kind of fit that the the characterization from the original fit that so well so this was written by clay mcleod uh, mcleod chapman uh illustrated by elia bonetti and colored by veronica gandini and i think they did a very good job of making this a deeply uncomfortable issue uh, on purpose. And oh, I, I think this is a high point of the series as well. Yeah. I, I it's had really forgotten it, but the second I saw one page, I went, oh, right. Oh, no. Uh. I think this is not the same, but eventually gives way to one of my other favorite Spider-Verse rando guys, which is Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. I feel like this, so in this horror story, Peter Parker is like a creeper, and by the end of it, he is a spider monster eating people. Mm-hmm. Spider's Man is the reverse. Yeah, and Spider's Man is the reverse. Spider's, which is more fun, I guess. But this is such a good horror comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end of it, it's done, and you're like, all right, well, I guess we're done. Yep. I would not have wanted to see more of this Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, and the last one is Spider S P slash slash D R, uh, which was written by Gerard Way, illustrated by Jake Wyatt, and colored by Ian Herring, and it is explicitly a, a um i guess an evangelion you know mecha parody uh but not like a comedic parody no i mean it matches the evangelion in tone actually yeah and i love gerard way's comics they're very very odd uh for those who don't know he is the lead singer of my chemical romance and often writes with his brother sean way also uh, creator of Umbrella Academy, both the comic mm-hmm. and the television show. Yep. Uh, and he did one of my favorite Doom Patrol runs. Oh, yeah, that w- <laughs> that was also um, excellent. That yeah, was at the top of Gerard's uh, comic star. Yeah, he, he's just much like Dan Slott, interestingly. He, he's a very slow writer, and so he does not have much of an output. 
Dan Slott gets a lot, but he is notoriously bad at deadlines. And that's why so many times his series will have five different artists because his scripts just come in uh, too, too late. So they have to scramble. I remember this being a high point of the run. Mm-hmm. And it was better than I remembered. It's so good. Yes. It's stylized. It's wonderful. Penny Parker's amazing. And, and Penny Parker makes sh- it to the movies because of this issue. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, shame although, we never got a mini. Um, but we get a follow-up in um, Spider-Getting. That's really fun. Oh, yeah, we do. Spider fights Vietnam. <laughs> yes, I forgot. How I could never forget. I, I like that oh, one even that's so bit. good. But my favorite part of this is I had forgotten that there was this, like, really harsh dead parent angle. With like old oh, yeah. man Matt Murdock being a mentor, and that's what made it really feel like Evangelion, and not just like a mecha thing. Was like um, all this yeah. like dead parent trauma and like living mentor problems being mm-hmm. wrapped up in how you can pilot a robot. Yep, a potentially sentient robot that is scary. <laughs> that is a spider computer chip plugged into her neck. It's so good. It, yeah, it's very good. So that was the Edge of Spider-Verse. And in the background of some of these, you had, I, you know, Spider UK and some of the other characters popping in to kind of bring the ones that got saved into the main series and and get us ready for part one of Spider-Verse coming up after the break. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And welcome back. We are talking Spider-Verse, a supersized event comic. We just got through talking about the um, Edge of Spider-Verse, the, uh, the miniseries, and now we're going to get to the story proper. Yeah, so let's get those credits out of the way, at least for the main books. This is for Amazing Spider-Man. It was all written by Dan Slott, penciled by Olivier Coppel for issues 9 through 11 and issue 14, and penciled by Giuseppe Comincoli on issues 9 and then 12 through 15. It was inked by Olivier Coppel on issues 9 and 11, Cam Smith on issues 9, 12 through 15, Wade Von Graubadger on 11 and 14, John Livesey on 11 and 14, Victor Olazaba and Mark Morales on issue 11, and Roberto Poggi on issue 15. It was all colored by Justin Ponsor, with some coloring on issue 9 by Antonio Fabella, and it was all lettered by Chris Iliopoulos, uh, with some additional lettering by Travis Lanham on issues 9 and 11. Mostly a pretty, um, if you like, Marvel comic from this year, that's a lot of the faces you're going to see. Yeah, Giuseppe Comincoli hasn't been doing a lot at Marvel since, but he's been all around. He did Hellblazer. He's been working on uh, Uncharted Country recently with... um, I love his art in that. Yeah, with Snyder and Soul. You left off... uh, He does a run of Darth Vader, doesn't he? Yes, he does that with Soul, I believe. Charles Soul. That's an incredible run because nobody has ever drawn a featureless plastic mask so expressively. 
<laughs> just through like body language and lighting. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Coley is one of my favorite guys. He's he's tremendous. Yeah. His, sometimes his faces can be a little um, taut. Well, that's why Darth Vader is such a good character but, for him. Yeah. That's the tautest face you can make. I had forgotten that Olivier Coipel had done these issues. Yeah. And it's very weird seeing him on it. I don't think he was the right fit necessarily. So I don't I, know. I thought you might say this. I was noticing that too. And that's so interesting because at the time I remembered he was kind of the consensus choice. He was really widely liked. He uh, did a lot of different stuff hitting deadlines. And he um, has this really representational style. It's like not exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Or it's like um, the things that are exaggerated are like the fashion and like uh, the looks. Yeah, which is interesting because I think maybe it's just because of which Spider-Man they picked as the main ones. I'm like, I had trouble sometimes telling apart a bunch of the different people because they were all drawn so similarly and they had such similar red and blue costumes. Like, I had trouble sometimes pointing out which was superior Spider-Man when they weren't talking. Oh, see, if you spend 30 issues looking at that, like, black up to the armpits costume, you'll recognize it. I guess. I don't know. In Superior, you watch him building the costume bit by bit, which is fun. Hmm. Because, you know, it's like I didn't get Spider-Man comic. He's got to put claws in the uh, fingers and electric webbing Mm -hmm. in case he has to fight a magnet, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So how do you want to do this with the tie-ins. Do you want to just go through the main event and then touch on the tie-ins at the end? I I kind of have a controversial proposal to you. Okay. I think we should just talk about the entire story chronologically. I think we can touch upon the tie-ins because there are a couple times when they're important, but I don't think they merit a lot of individual discussion. Okay, perfect. Is that okay by you? Yep. I, yeah, I just want to say uh, you mentioned all the creators and uh, some of those guys... Uh, do a pretty admirable job. A couple of them do a less than admirable job. Greg Land. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Let me let me run through those at least. Okay. I'm saving the Spider Verse ones because that's story by story. But essentially, the Spider Woman issues were by Dennis Hopeless Halem, Greg Land, Jay Leiston, Frank De Armada, and Travis Lanham. 2099. Peter David, Will Sliney, Antonio Favela, and Joe Caramagna. The Scarlet Spiders tie-in was by Mike Costa, Paco Diaz, Israel Silva, and Travis Lanham. And then Spider-Verse team-up was mostly done by Christos Gage, Dave Williams, Dexter Vines, Chris Sotomayor, and Joe Caramagna. But there was always a, a backup story by a different creative team. The first one was by Roger Stern, Bob McLeod, Andrew Crossley, and Joe Caramagna. The letters were Joe Caramagna on one and three and Clayton Callis on two. Jerry Conway, Stephen Sanders, and Andrew Crossley did the one on the second issue, and then Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends with Sal Buscema and Andrew Crossley were on the third issue. Another lineup of uh, these aren't the guys who are going to be writing any old Marvel comic this year, but they are guys who they have on their numbers on their desk. Mm-hmm. They're just yep. like, oh, shit, we got to get uh, Starlin in here. <laughs> we got to do something. Come on, Mike. Yeah. So Peter Parker ends up arriving to the like the story already in progress. Yeah. Which great start. Great way yeah, to do it. Great way to do it also because it's uh, there's so many issues that it's like fun that Peter is so behind because he's been spending all this time like resolving his gross sexual tension with Cindy Moon. We forgot yeah. to mention another gross thing is that she doesn't have her excellent silk costume yet. No, yeah, and she just covers herself in webbing. Yeah, she's Ugh. just naked with webbing over her. Ugh. Who the fuck? It was slot. 
Uh, probably. Yeah, no good. No good at all. No. But once they arrive there, I feel like stuff does pick up, especially because upon they're it's, they're like meeting on this battlefield and we get to see our version of Peter Parker have like really emotional uh, reunions and reactions to like all of these different multiversal Spider-Man. I just I this part really hit me deep. Yeah, I really liked that, especially when like he sees Gwen and he's just like, yeah, oh, my God. That's the moment where he That's... sees Gwen. And um, and it also it's kind of interesting. I like here that um, this is a younger version of Gwen. And I feel like their um, their chemistry reflects that mm-hmm. where like he's all looking in the past about like ha- having moved on from Gwen and so many things happening. And she there here she is looking like she did when she died. Basically, she was only a couple years younger here. Mm hmm. And um, and now he can like he can like say all the he's got all these things he wanted to say to her over the years. So many things he thinks about it and tells us the reader constantly. (laughs) And now he gets to say some of those words. And we know from reading Edge of Spider-Verse that Gwen also like lost her Peter Parker. Yeah. And that's still very raw for her. Yeah. But like it's all got this thing where Peter Parker is like, look, I don't want you to feel like I'm coming at you or anything. I just like, wow, I got we got to talk about stuff. Yeah, he's like very considerate of how weird the the situation is configured, all the specifics of it. I like also how it acknowledges how difficult it is for Gwen to look and just see all of these Peters and go, I'm kind of the only one here as well. Yeah, only one Gwen. A lot of Peters, one yeah. Gwen. There's yeah, a not, there's a Peter Parker even. Mm-hmm. And he's not like, a, I don't know how to. Is there a Gwen Stacy in that world? I don't remember. Um, we haven't been introduced to him. We know that there was an Uncle Bim who died. And there's a Mary Jane, I remember. Yeah. I'm just, I'm looking at the first two pages of issue nine, which is a very fun kind of, uh, fake out. We think it's our, our Peter Parker. We think it's going to be, you know, the start of something. And then he gets murdered and it turns out it's the Spider Moon Man of Earth 449. Good shit. Yeah, okay, and you saying the Earth number brings me to the next topic I wanted to cover. Although, again, uh, you fucking guide me if I'm going too too, too far afield. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, I just opened to a Silk page in her terrible (laughs) webs. Well, in the meantime, I'll just talk about how scary Moreland is with Olivier Coipel. I think he does a very good job. Like, I said, I was like, I don't know if he's the right choice, but, I mean, on a panel-to-panel basis, he does such good work. Yeah, he gets it. He gets yeah. uh, what makes Moreland scary and like the uncanny valley-ness to draw him with. Mm-hmm. He is not a human being. He's only vaguely shaped like one. Yep, exactly. But you mentioning, so we get earth numbers for all of this and having different earth numbers. I mean, I could talk about this briefly, but um, mm-hmm. for me, at least, I love all the different numbers. I think you do, too. We got excited when Hickman got the new number for the new Ultimate Universe. Yeah. Right. Like we're, we we think that's exciting. So I remember like uh, being reminded that this uh, 1610 is the ultimate universe and 616 is the uh, regular universe mm-hmm. and the Gwen universe is 66, right? Or 65. I, th- I think 65. Yeah. Now, these Earth numbers have not been done consistently over the years. I think as we get closer to today, people are taking cues from each other more than they used to where they would just do random shit. If we ever read Exiles, you will see. Uh huh. But so there's so uh, my jaw dropped as the gauntlet was thrown as I turned to the page and I see that the inheritors, the this whole family of them is from Earth one zero zero one. Yeah, this at the time was electrifying to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
absolutely nuts. Did I just did you react? It makes sense though. Well, it just what it does is it establishes the inheritors in this way that like almost makes more sense to me in the Marvel cosmology. Mm-hmm. Right? If they're if they're from Loom World, and it's this world with these like uh, uh, patrician gentry like people who look like British colonialists in their dress. They have like Victorian clothes on. Uh huh. And they're sitting in this huge feasting hall where they're just like eating the flesh of their enemies and like enslaving their other enemies. Deeply messed up. But like um, the whole thing about the web of life and destiny, that seems to be like the belief system of these inheritors and like possibly the very fabric of the Marvel multiverse. Mm. We are the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. And this is such a great idea that I feel like has been minimally touched upon afterwards. yeah, minimally and then quite literally torched multiple times by Dan Slott. True, but like the not the not spending more time here, but the history of this place. How did it get to be World One? Mm. The Weaver, like uh, how did it seems like they captured the Weaver? The Weaver was there when the inheritors like moved in. Who did they kick out? Who was the Weaver? And where did they come from? Did we? I think there might have been. Like an it, you know, a backup in one of the issues before this that might have shown it. I don't remember. I, I think what you're thinking of is we spent more time with these ideas in Spider Geddon. Oh, that might have been it. But yeah, I just think that like the defenders should be going to Loom World, right? Yeah, probably. And or like the exiles or whatever. You know, any time traveler, interdimensional, what whatever. I feel like uh, Loom World is a place we need to explore more. <laughs> I like uh, I like how it unifies a bunch of cool Marvel lore. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, the issue I have, uh, they fucked up the lettering. Okay. Uh, on uh, when, when Miles Morales is introduced, they got the Earth number wrong. <laughs> they wrote it as six ten. Oh, I said sixteen ten. Oh, okay. I I so I was looking at that page. Yeah. No, it is sixteen ten. They just messed it up. Uh, because it's corrected on future in every future issue. Uh, whenever Miles Morales gets his little caption, actually the first caption box on in issue ten is Earth sixteen ten. They got it right. Uh, oh yeah. Miles Dang. shows up and he's you know being attacked by this random lady with Craven the Hunter with a mask. Craven the Hunter, Silver Sable, and Sabretooth? Looks like. I think is the last one. Uh, and he gets saved by a bunch of spider people. And I really like, I'm very happy that they kept putting the Earth number and name next to them. Big help. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. The self-ascribed superior Spider-Man. Good shit. And you can tell that Slot is a nerd for all these Earth numbers and like keeping track, like keeping track of them is such a pleasure for him that if you enjoy it, it's a pleasure to read. Mm -hmm. And he this is one of the things he does really well. He does deep cut pulls very well. Yeah. He knows how to do it. He knows how to bring it in and he knows how to make it interesting. Yeah, and well, and he knows when like to play on the pathos of their existential existence in the multiverse, or when they don't need that, they just can show up for a punchline. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He's got great judgment throughout this, and I think that's probably the thing that um, uh, contemporary Marvel comics and certainly the MCU have been getting very wrong is not mm-hmm. having good judgment about when to laugh at them and when to be in awe of them. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's a real real pain. There's a, a take to um, for slot to take over the MCU, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's the the right move, but yeah, it, it would certainly be a move. Yeah. Uh, 
So in between the first two issues of Spider-Man, that's when we get a couple of the the Spider-Verse stuff. And I think it's because the tie-ins, because at this point, we're still assembling the team. We haven't really gotten into the thick of it. And we can explore all these alternate universes that are slowly being attacked. So we get a framing device in one of the the Spider-Verse issues. And I was sad that both issues didn't use this framing device of the master weaver introducing us to the different stories as like the host yeah i really wanted that but we, we just get a, a little bit of it but slot uh humberto ramos olizaba and delgado do a, a fun job for a couple pages we're in the spider-verse we had spider clan we had the steampunk spider-man we had penelope parker and then we had two very fun like alternate digressions that don't get credits on the credit page which is an ad fake ad and then a newspaper comic <laughs> i love the newspaper comic is like wrecked me that's one of the funniest jokes in the series i love that one so much uh, dan slot tom grummet and tom palmer killed it travis lanham did all the lettering on that but i i was dying at the sponge cake ad <laughs> Tim I don't know if that's in my Templeton. trade. I'm looking for it. It's on the trade. It's in the middle. Yeah, it's just a one page thing. It's called late for dinner. It must be in here. It, it everything's spread. There. Things aren't spread out by issue. Oh, God. So, yeah, this is a nightmare trade. I bought the wrong trade yeah. when I bought this. Oh, I enjoyed the steampunk one. Uh, Robbie Thompson, Den- Dennis Medrian, uh, Paolo Frances- Francescudo did a good job bringing like a steampunk world to life but i've i found lady spider more interesting in the main series spider clan i could take or leave that was fine i like lady spider as a character i kind of wish we got more of her i Mm -hmm. think she shows up somewhere but not enough i like penelope parker was a nice like different type of story that's uh, that's why i like these 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 extra tie-ins it was like more edge of spider-verse and i could always use more edge of spider-verse but the revelatory thing about this is that, yeah, it's like more edge of Spider-Verse is that because you have all these different artists, when they do it right, watching the different artists art styles clashing is what mm-hmm. the, is the joy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's a couple of like uh, cameos that I don't want to get to because they're maybe bigger and more spoilery. So you keep us okay. going with the plot. Yep. Uh, Spider-Verse team up brings us our first kind of digression uh, from the main series. We get um, a few of the the... Not the C-listers, but a few of the the side characters going off. They're trying to find more spider people to bring back to the safe zone. Oh, we didn't mention the safe zone. We should describe the safe zone. That's essential. Oh, so the safe zone is an Earth guarded by Captain Universe Spider-Man. It's Earth-13. He's got all this cosmic power that he had given up uh, years ago. But in this universe, he never gave up the power. So he's, he's like, oh, I can protect everyone from the Inheritors, at least for a while. So that's why they they won't dare come here. And I guess that's, is that, would you say that's a good summary? Yeah, there's the, it's the next thing I want to get to, too, mm-hmm. where they end up, because they, they have to flee that safe zone. Yeah, they have to flee the safe zone. Why did they, uh, why did uh, they I mean, flee it, the it, safe it, zone? Nothing really changed. It's just that the inheritors do find them and attack them. And I guess the inheritors have been growing in power as they've been eating spiders. Mm-hmm. So finally, enough inheritors had eaten enough spiders that they could overcome the universe power. Mm. I think. That was my read mm. anyway. No, the, the planet doesn't fall until later. First, they have another safe zone. It's the Superior Spider-Man's lab in 2099. Mm-hmm. That was a secret zone. And because Peter brought so many new spider totems there, um, they have to run away. 
Oh, oh the, the, their collective, found. their collective spider scent. Yeah, or whatever. Or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's kind of vague. whatever. But the yeah, inheritors and, show up. Mm-hmm. The inheritors show up. There's a big battle, and then everyone kind of goes their separate ways. This is where all the tie-ins really start. This is where Spider Woman begins. This is where Scarlet Spider begins. This is where the 2099 stuff kicks off. This is also where we get who, at the time, was the most surprising addition to the cast. Okay, who was it? That is the Spider-Man who is the emissary of hell. What? Uh, Japanese Spider-Man. Oh, yes. I love him. Briefly, Japanese Spider-Man. They made a Spider-Man show in Japan in the 80s, 90s? Um, 80s, 90s. Yeah. And it is not very much like Spider-Man at all. That's kind of the joy of it. Um, He rides around in a giant mecha named uh, Leopard- Leopardon. Leopardon. I can never say that. And the rights were not owned by Marvel. Marvel, pre-being a big corporation, had licensed those rights to the Japanese company. So mm-hmm. them squaring this with their lawyers and getting him on the page at the time was like a Because uh, I remember Slot saying in one of the times I heard him speak before it came out that he's like, I don't know if I can get Japanese Spider-Man. That might be too much. But I, he, <laughs> I definitely knew by that point and he was teasing it. But he got him. Yeah, well, he, got he, him. He, 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 I think he knew. I think he, when he said, was saying something in public, it's because he knew that he could get him. <laughs> but um what a joy for him to show up he is drawn perfectly and um and he's and, and that's what i was thinking when you were talking about like the perfect amount of cameo mm-hmm. he comes in he does one awesome thing and then he doesn't actually save the day because he's not the main character and it's fine yeah and i mean and he has a, a few moments of pathos uh <laughs> which i guess is kind of explored a little bit in the 2099 tie-in which again fine it's fine. It's just Miguel O'Hara brooding about and then dissecting one of the inheritors. That's all that really has to be said about 2099. It's fine. Yeah, the, I just turned to the dissection. It is gross. It, oh, well, yeah, that, that part is gross. Uh, but in, in the main series, we get some fun clashing of styles, as you were saying, when Miles is teaming up with, is this Spider-Man Evolution? Not Evolution. What's the name of what was the name of the Spider-Man cartoon that was in the the mid 2010s? Um I there was um Spectacular Spider-Man. I think, I think this thinking. is this I think this is the Spectacular Spider-Man teams up with him to save the Spider-Man of the 60s cartoon. And it's drawn perfect. This is another one of the best gags. It's like the art is perfect and um they have such a great ear for the terrible 60s dialogue but making it funny. Mhm. It's so good. That, Which is also like, there's not a single panel where there's multiple Spider-Men where they're not talking very much like their wrestling gimmick. <laughs> I would read Spider-Man Team Up number two just for the rest of this adventure. What do you mean? Just uh, if it was only that team? No, no, no. The um, Spider-Man Team Up number two is the rest of the exploration of the the 66 world. The oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you want more of 60s world. I want more of that. But... You know, of all of the tie-ins, that's really the only one that I think is essential. Um, there's another one that pops up. I don't remember. I think it was in these issues. It might have been in something else, and I apologize. Mm-hmm. But when the uh, Spider-Man from Marvel vs. Capcom shows up, mm-hmm. that, that killed me. Mm. <laughs> that's the beginning. That's the first one-pager in Spider-Man, Spider-Verse number two. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the, when the kids are playing the arcade. I used to play that game at the arcade in the bowling alley. Chris Anka drew that one with oh, Chris Sotomayor on uh, on colors. 
That rules. I kind of want to go play Marvel vs. Capcom 3 now. That one has uh, MODOK in it. <laughs> that's the only one that I know, and that's the one that I see all the time. Well, that's that's the one that where the, the guys who made it were clearly like deep cut Marvel fans. Everyone oh, yeah. on the roster is like the coolest inclusion. Oh, yeah. But the halfway point of Spider-Verse, see, the uh, safe zone has fallen because Solus, the patriarch of the family, has come out and drained ultimate Spider-Man, but not ultimate Spider-Man, the Enigma Force Spider-Man. Uh, um, Captain Universe Spider-Man. Captain Universe. Thank you. I was reading the panel. No, I had ultimate power, ultimate responsibility. Good writing. Good writing. This uh, is what I meant by the, <coughs> by the safe zone is where they end up after this is what we need to explain because this is important. Yeah. So the planet falls. Benjamin Parker, Mayday's younger brother, is stolen because he is the scion. Little baby Benjamin. He's an infant. Baby Benji. Baby Benji. And he's one of the he's placed in these, these uh, archetypes that they need to assemble for the great feast. Yes. Yes. They need the other, the bride and the scion. And Which we know is um, Silk, Kane, and Baby Benji. Mm-hmm. So they now have the baby, uh, and they're gonna need eventually the other two. And but they're currently off on their own side books, dealing with you know whatever. Silk fucked off in issue two of the series to join Spider Woman, uh, and then she fucked off in issue one of Spider Woman. Those four issues are a mess. I don't like them. If there's one thing I don't want Greg Land drawing, it's a woman. And if there's two things mm. I don't want Greg Land drawing, it's two women. It's ugh. at first I was reading the first issue. I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad for Greg Land. And then like halfway through, I was like, oh, no, it got bad. You know what Greg Land should be drawing? What? The Hulk. Buildings? Just only the Hulk. OK, that's I just fair. when he's drawing monsters, he can't trace porn. And then he mm-hmm. has to actually draw. And you're like, oh, Greg Land can maybe draw sometimes. Yeah. I, I don't think I think I just don't like Spider-Woman. Jessica I don't Drew? Think and- I've, yeah, I don't think I've liked a series about her ever. I don't know why. Not even the the Dennis one, the Dennis Hopeless Halem pregnant story. I haven't read the pregnant story. I've just read That's these the four one issues. I would point these you four to. issues That's- suck. Uh, yeah, these four issues do suck. I would point you towards that other series just get, to give it a try because I... That's the most unlike her usual thing. This is sadly pretty typical of her adventures. Yeah, because like I didn't like the whatever was going on with uh, with recently. And I don't really like the her new status quo with her missing child. No, I like uh, I like like Steve Fox, but I like classics. uh, Jessica Drew, where she's like a detective or a spy. Mm -hmm. I'm going on those sort of level adventures. Like, uh, yeah. cosmic shit doesn't make a lot of sense for her, and, like, going, like, just, like, street level is a little bit too constricted for her. She's got to mm-hmm. be jet set, and she's got to be crossing the world, mm-hmm. is how I like Jessica Drew. But anyway, yeah. they take, um, fleeing the Inheritors, um, they, uh, they are looking for, like, another safe hideout, and who's the one who leads them there? Is it, um, Otto, or is it Cindy? Well, Cindy is on the planet. She gets that she had been fleeing from the Inheritors, uh, from Bricks and... Bora? Yeah, the twins in the pages of Spider-Woman. Uh, and she escapes to Earth 3145, which is a post-thermonuclear world, which turns out to be complete poison to them. And I do want to bring this this specific sequence up because there are a few of them in this issue and the next where sometimes Dan Slott recreates these scenes way better than the tie-in did. And other times, like later when Kane 
runs away to Loom World. It's just so much worse than the tie-in version. But it's the exact same scene. Um, yeah, I. this is something Marvel did more commonly in these years, I think, was uh, showing the same scene but drawn by two different artists in two different books. And written by two different writers, so the dialogue is different. Yeah, yeah, because I remember this happened in Infinity, Jonathan Hickman's Infinity. Mm-hmm. To, in that one, to maybe great effect. In this one, you're right. It's weird that we get like a, a better and a worse version of most scenes. Yeah, it sucks. But uh, I don't want to interrupt your your run up. But so they get to this radioactive world. The inheritors are like coughing and shit. And I think the first time you read this, um, you kind of just like file that away. It's not obviously the key to the whole situation right away. Mm-hmm. Or I'm dumb. Which one is it? <laughs> uh, if you read the tie in. It is immediately apparent that this is the key to everything because they're like the end of the issue is is like she escaped to the one world where we can't go. And now she knows it. And then they're like, oh, yeah. And then you're like, oh, but here it's just kind of like, you know, get back here. It hurts you too much. Let, let her die there. But, but yeah, so the inheritors who are otherwise seem to be like pretty all powerful and getting more powerful their secret weakness is revealed to be like nuclear radiation. Yep. And I'm fine with that. I don't know how you feel about that. No, I think that's fine. I think that's a good, it's fitting within the world of Marvel comics, honestly. Right. It it like the radioactive spider and the radioactive world all thematically feel like it's fitting in with all this like totemic shit. Yeah. And also, oh, uh, this is also where we start finding out that there are clones of all of the inheritors and that's how they're able to survive so long. Yeah. Yeah. They just keep, they die and then they come back and then they die and then they come back and then we end, they find their way to like a bunker. Cindy has brought them to, to safety. And it turns out who is the Spider-Man of this world, but uncle Ben, this is what I was getting to. So this right here, I think is the, the linchpin to the whole story. Mm-hmm. We've been thematically like exploring um, how all of these different Spider-Men are touched by loss, and some of them are now reunited with the very people that they lost, having lost each other across the dimensions. Mm-hmm. And nobody better represents that loss than Uncle Ben, who's in our most familiar Spider story. But like Spider-Man India has Uncle Beam. It's like uh, the Uncle the tragic the tragedy of Uncle Ben's death is so important to the totemic. Uh, I'm trying to think of like, a way to describe this than just saying totemic shit, but that's what it feels like. <laughs> well, to, to the cycles and. Yeah. And to the and But then to tie it specifically to um, Peter Parker having a conversation with Uncle Ben. The story has been told a bunch of times, but it's a really good conversation and making Uncle Ben now responsible for keeping them safe. Mm hmm. Um, it feels like really powerful in these issues, I think. And it's also really powerful how this Uncle Ben feel he was he 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 kind of failed his world. Right. Which is f- so interesting. It, for him, this is like the great power, great responsibility. But nuclear Armageddon, he's the last human on Earth. Mm-hmm. And it's like what happens when instead of a kid is getting these powers and is taught a lesson and then is living up to it? What happens when the adult gets it and then suffers loss? And isn't able to live up to their own, not morals, but but their their own advice, essentially. Yeah, I feel like stories like this are always about how the version of the character who's our main one is the best one. Mm-hmm. It's proving that they're the one we should be following. And um, and so, yeah, this is another exploration of like what you're saying, um, that Peter getting the power so young is now like shown to be critical to his like moral 
process of becoming the best Spider-Man he can be. Or at least this one, because we do see others. We see, again, Ben Riley. It's a different Ben Riley uh, in another in, in the, the Scarlet Spiders one. Mm-hmm. That's him. It's the it's the clone book. It's him, Jessica Drew from the Ultimus universe and Kane. And Jessica Drew, who's just trans Peter Parker in that? I think so. Yeah, I, I read that comic. Yeah. Peter Parker. Uh, it just transits into Jessica you Drew. No. Oh, yeah, that's Bendis Ultimate Spider-Man. It's, I'm just like, I was just, this is my first time I have thought of this story since transitioning myself, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> I, I got those traits. I should go check a look at this shit. That sounds crazy. Dr. Octopus has Magneto powers in that. It's a nuts story. That's nuts. His, it turns out his arms were just him having magnet powers and tricking everyone into thinking he only had arms, but he can move any metal. Oh, my goodness. It's a really silly twist, but as a like a college kid when I read that, I was I was flipping out. That was so cool. <laughs> That's great. So we're near in the end. Yeah, we're getting there. Kane goes to Loom World. He murders Solace, and because of the events of Scarlet Spiders, none of them can regenerate. They took out their cloning facility. And as we know from contemporary X-Men, that's a that's a bad situation to be in. That is a bad situation to be in. Peter Parker tries to give Uncle Ben a uh, pep talk and it sort of kind of works. And then Superior Spider-Man comes over and like tough loves (laughs) Uncle Ben into stepping up, which that combo makes the series. I loved that. I guess the the contrast of styles showing why this Spider-Man, you know, He's not the Spider-Man we know, but he still can do the same things. Well, and um, if you read Superior, he thinks that his methods for doing these things are are better and are going mm-hmm. to achieve the results that Peter wants because he has now committed himself to Peter's moral outlook, but not to mm-hmm. his methodology. And so, like, needing the Peter Parker uh, soft touch and the Otto Octavius, like, tough love. Mm-hmm. Does really, I, I guess what it shows is that Slot really cared about Otto in this story, too. Yeah. And this proves like Otto's approach does have merit and Peter and Otto could learn from each other. And it's tragic that they're always destined to fight. Yeah. Yeah. And not every time does Peter's way work. But also without Peter here, I don't think Otto's tough love talk would have gotten through to Uncle Ben. Yeah, it takes both. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes you have to stand up a little. This is also why this sounds like it should be the end of the run, right? Because after Superior, this is so huge, and that's such a great thematic conclusion to Slot's mm-hmm. entire tenure run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then it just keeps going. And then it just keeps going and going and going. But we we are nearing our end. The final issue of the main part of the book, they start the sacrifices, they've begun to, to sever the web of life and destiny, or whatever. I forget the full title. <laughs> no, you get you nailed it. And they're about to to murder a baby, as you do, I guess, when you're evil vampires who eat spiders. Uh, when the cavalry arrives, and all of the books come crashing back together, when Karn shows up, and he is now on the good guy's side. He has been convinced. I think it was at the end of one of the, the Spider-Man team-up books. Uh, they, they do a switcheroo on the baby, and Uncle Ben runs away with, with the baby. With actual baby Benji. With actual baby Benji. Leo Pardon comes crashing in. Yeah. After having been destroyed. Such a good moment. And then the superior Spider-Man kind of 
kills, not kind of, he does kill the um, master weaver who had been kind of secretly helping them, you know, because he's been in chains. And Peter's just like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Yeah, because because Master Weaver seems like an innocent. Yeah. But that's that's what makes Otto superior. He's like, this is the this is the solution. Yeah, this is what makes Otto superior, even though it turns out that what he did uh, ends up destabilizing everything. Well, I guess eventually uh, all comics will turn to drama. But I, I more mean that um, it's Peter would never have considered killing the Weaver because mm-hmm. the Weaver is innocent in this. But Otto recognizes that the Weaver it, without the Weaver, the inheritors um, lose most of their infinite abilities. Yeah, this is true. And so I don't think coming to a conclusion about morality based on this Dan slot led Spider-Man event is going to be like a fruitful endeavor for anyone. (laughs) Okay. But I think it is an interesting consideration of the tension between like, no, Batman should just kill Joker, right? No, I can't do it for all these stupid reasons in the genre. This is just like an interesting consideration of the kind of problem that maybe Peter is not equipped to approach because it uh, it does take lethal force to stop this evil. Mm-hmm. Maybe it does. Or at least or at least it could have taken like that was one solution and Peter would not have considered it. And yeah. wouldn't have, have, it wouldn't have been in his conscience. But I think the comic is is showing that this is um the, the ongoingness of the discussion about whether superhero just like if Joker's going to break out of the asylum every week, mm-hmm. uh, you got to kill him, right? Or else he's or else you're responsible for basically genocide. How many people has Joker killed in Gotham? Millions? A lot. It's hard to tell because Gotham seems to like infinitely regenerate. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe that's part of there's an interesting uh, bat mythos to explore. But um, just I find that uh, that debate to usually be so tedious. And here, because it's not presented as like one hero thinking they solve it because it's presented as the tension of these two like worthy protagonists, Otto and Mm -hmm. Peter. Mm -hmm. It leaves a better taste in my mouth about the question about if fictional people should kill other fictional people, knowing the inevitability that plot will continue in ongoing Mm -hmm. comics. Gotcha. Right? That's just like, what are we talking about here, guys? Yeah. It's a, it's a, not, not a fruitless debate, but not particularly meaningful because you can always control the outcomes. Precisely. Yeah. Is, I feel that way strongly. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this, so now they have, a, they've killed the patriarch. They've stopped the cloning. They've taken the inheritor's ability away to jump between worlds by killing the weaver. And then they lock everyone away on the on the uh, radiation planet. Yeah. And that's so the end of it is they end up becoming imprisoned on the planet that they couldn't invade. And now they're in the bunker and they can never go outside until they do in five years or so. (laughs) Until they're they're saved by some portal or something. But so what's interesting to me is let's talk about the end of this comic and the status quo coming out of it. Mm hmm. So we get an epilogue, you know, everything seems fine, but then because of one like offhand comment that Peter had made to Otto about Anna Marie, he, so for the longest time, Otto had thought that Peter was before him in the timeline, therefore proving that he is the superior Spider-Man. But if Peter has come back, then clearly Otto failed. Otto is not superior because he gets, you know... He, he sacrifices himself or he thinks he's been defeated and usurped by, by Peter. Or that uh, sacrificing himself for Peter is the most superior decision you can make. Ah, but he doesn't realize that here. No, that's 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 his tension. He's like, 
Why would I ever do that? That's not the superior decision. I'm better than Peter in every way. That's his feeling. So he goes and he takes the knife and starts cutting the web of the web of destiny all apart so that it could never happen. And that's kind of the ending. The inheritors are locked up and um, dimensional travel through the web has been sort of disabled. Yeah, temporarily. Karn, Karn takes over as the master weaver to fix the web. And um, as we allude to a couple times, uh, Secret Wars is not too far off from this. And so mm-hmm. the entire multiverse is about to get collapsed anyway, which isn't really dealt with in any meaningful way here. No, they kind of like point to it because, you know, Billy Braddock's world is is gone now because uh, they talked about the incursions and, and all the stuff going on in Avengers. And that's a nice little continuity touch to tie it into whatever's going out on out there. Well, I bring that up because what's interesting is you don't see a lot of growth of these characters in the immediate aftermath of Mm Spider-Verse, but then all of them show up again in various capacities in Secret Wars. There is a Spider-Verse world on a battle world, and Mm -hmm. um, some of the more popular spider characters have their own worlds or are teaming up. Like, I think Noir is a world there. Uh, Probably, yeah. I would be surprised if it wasn't, but... Coming out of that Spider-Man franchise, it was in an interesting place because coming out of this now, there's so many beloved characters like Miles and, and Spider-Gwen who are in their own universes, but you also want to have the Spider-Man see each other. So like, how often are you allowed to? And I think this has been kind of messily explored over the last bunch of years. What do you think has been some of the best and some of the worst, if, if you can remember offhand? I mean, besides this, uh, Spider-Geddon is really the highlight of interdimensional Spider-Man stuff. And mm-hmm. then, like, an example of something that I feel kind of whatever about is um, there was a brief romance story between Miles and Spider-Gwen. Oh, my God. That was exactly the comic I was thinking. <laughs> and um, it's not terrible. And I obviously just, like their, them as a couple because I love it in the movie. I don't know. I don't like it in the comics, but I really like it in the movies. Right. Well, so there's missing something in the comics. And I think a little bit of what it's missing is that um, Miles keeps on feeling like in the movie that he's going to get locked off from Gwen forever. Right. When he said goodbye to her, he thought it was forever, but he couldn't stop thinking about her. Mm -hmm. That's all extremely romantic. In the comic, what happens? They go on a date. So they put on their magic wristwatch to jump between universes and go get dinner. It's like there's no drama. There's no romance. Mm. Yeah. And that's kind of what's been the feeling in the comics a lot is if you're going to do a big story like Spider-Verse, you got to keep the stakes of interdimensional travel high or it's going to it's going to lessen their relationships, not boost them. Yeah, I agree. Um, I really like most of the elements of the story and I hope they continue to get explored. I want more inheritors. I want more Web of Life and Destiny. I want more Loom World. I want more of many of these spider guys. I hate to tell you, it's all gone. It's all gone. Dan Slott literally destroyed it all in End of Spider-Verse, in his first Spider-Man arc. I have not read of End of Spider-Verse. I I would say like, you should read it, but I would read the Wikipedia summary. I'm, like, skeptical that this that Dan Slott in a latter-day return to series is going to get to dictate continuity in a big way like that. I don't know. It, it, I feel like it, with it the next person... It dictated Spider-Woman's new status quo. But I feel like uh, next person who's writing Spider-Man after... Uh, do we know what's happening after this run? Zeb Wells? Does it look yeah. like it's ending? I don't know. It kind of feels like we're we're up to the big thing they've been leading to. This feels like uh, heading to the end game. Okay. I right think with there's ga- still more. With Gang War. Uh, you've been reading it more closely than me. I've been dropping in and out. But um, if the next writer wants to do something with uh, 
lady spider coming through the universe. He'll figure it out. Uh, that's true. And I said hill because I don't have believe in my heart that it will be a woman, but it should be. <laughs> I would rate this comic very highly. It's a huge mess, and that's kind of what I love about it. And if you want yeah. like a perfect work of tight literature with like themes and uh, and plotting, you're not going to find it here. But if you want just like the most stuffed comic bullshit that we love <laughs> and you probably love too, you gotta you got a Spider Verse. You got a Spider Verse. Yeah, my I had forgotten how just sprawling this thing was meaning if you just read the amazing spider-man issues it feels like you're missing so much like the main event is is pretty consistent and mostly in those pages but i don't know it just it i had forgotten how yeah messy the whole thing was it's not as tight as the, your memory makes it seem you could hear it as we we're trying to describe our way through it. The actual plot is very simple. Inheritors attack, spider people assemble, spider people get taken out, magic MacGuffins get taken to, to the home world. They all converge. Final battle epilogue, which ties up a bunch of the emotional stakes throughout. And that's a good decision because keeping the big stuff simple lets us just like really enjoy the details and the cameos mm-hmm. and the moments and the one liners. Just like, oh, this is well, Slot's judgment was very good throughout this. Um, mm-hmm. And I can't maybe extend that to every single creator, but like he he knew when to go big and when to go small. Yeah. And for me, the tie ins and the the edge of Spider-Verse stuff was the most fun. Yeah. All of for the me random too. The random side stories were were great. Well, I say the tie-ins, but like the unconnect, the semi-connected stories versus like the actual tie-ins to to the miniseries. It was like twenty ninety nine, forgettable, nothing. Spider Woman, not very good. Scarlet Spiders was fine. Um, I thought it was a, of all of them probably the best, and then the rest were anthologies. You had an, you had an ensemble in that one, so they could have dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had good dynamics. It was a good a, a, a good use of Kane. Finally, oh, we're gonna read. So if we if we ever read the slot run, you're gonna we're gonna read so much Kane. Oh no! Yeah, good use of Kane. Great use of Ben Riley as kind of like this interesting ultimate Spider Man. Like his superpower is his belief in himself. He's like, I am the hero. I can't lose. I will overcome these odds. Real uh, Spider-Man lifting the uh, the rubble in the tunnel. Exactly. Yeah, that is Ben Riley's superpower. And I love yeah. how that's explored in that, that mini. To- yeah. That was great. That good was stuff. great. You're right. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was really good. Yeah. So we're done. Spider-Verse. <laughs> yeah, we're on the other side. I think we... Uh... I think we our opinions on Spider-Verse has shown through, and they're mostly pretty positive. But next time, I can't promise that I'm going to be as rosy. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I read this at the same time as Castaway and Dimension Z, so even though they didn't come out at the same time. So uh, we'll see what I think of it now. But yeah, that's what we're reading next time. Our uh, winner's pick for our loser book Castaway in Dimension Z, the first 10 issues of the Rick Remender Captain America run from 2012, all drawn by John Romita Jr. and I think Klaus Janssen on inks. I think so. But we will we'll get that more specifically next time. Hit the credits. Yeah, this episode was edited by Livian Safir. Our theme music is Excelsior by Carol Romo. Uh, you probably could find us somewhere on social media about 
eight to 12 months ago, but not so much anymore. But we'll see you next time and we'll get ready for the squarest of people and the scariest of children. We'll see you there, folks. Yep. Thank you.